<clears throat> so if you're driving down the road and you see a sign, one of those warning caution signs that says slippery when wet and it's raining, then you know that you're about to be living on a prayer. Well, I mean, that's what I think of when I see slippery when I think of Bon Jovi. And so then I think about it's going to be dangerous ahead. And if you didn't seem to really like Bon Jovi, that's fine. If you don't, if you don't love Bon Jovi, though, you're, you're giving love a bad name. I just want you to know that. So, um, But a warning sign is there for really the two reasons. It's like, hey, there's, there's danger ahead. So it's kind of like get your attention, maybe make you be afraid, dangerous curve, slippery, whatever. But it's really designed to give you instruction alongside the warning. Hey, get both hands on the wheel. Don't be distracted. There's something coming up. You need to pay attention. You need to be really careful. You need to watch out for something. And so the writer of Hebrews is giving these warnings. There's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. This is the second one. These warnings are designed to get our attention. Hey, there's a danger that we're going to talk about here. But it's really designed to be instruction. Hey, Here's how you can pay attention. Here's how you can watch out. Here's how you can take care so that you don't fall into this trap. That's that's what he seems to be talking about. And in this warning in Hebrews 7, he's very specifically going back to a period in the history of God's people from when they were getting out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. In fact, the warning, he says, look at verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. In verse 15, he says the same thing again. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The day of rebellion, the day of testing, he's pointing back to this time when God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. They have been slaved there for 400 years, and God finally showed up and delivered them. And he did that in amazing ways. The, the showdown between Moses and Pharaoh and God and Pharaoh. And God showed his power over Pharaoh with all the plagues. And then the Passover, the, 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 the one plague to end them all. And then Pharaoh finally just submits and surrenders and lets the people go. And as they do that, they, they start following Moses out into, towards the wilderness. They get to the Red Sea. And they're trapped there. They don't have any way to get across the Red Sea. And they turn around. The Egyptians have changed their mind and they're coming after them. And if you remember, in that moment, they complained. And they, they, they basically lost hope. Well, I can't believe we're going to die here by the Red Sea. And then God showed up in an amazing way. He told Moses what to do. And then God made the water of the Red Sea stand up, make two walls. And the, the people of Israel, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They all came across. Here's the just dry ground where the sea used to be. There's dry ground. They walked across it. They get to the other side. The Egyptians are still chasing them. They see a path through the Red Sea. The Egyptians come in there. And then God makes the water just crash over the Egyptians. And all the Egyptians drowned in that moment. God killed them all, which is that reminder that these stories are just children's stories. That's all they are. God killed everybody. So um, he delivered them. It was amazing. It was miraculous. That's Exodus chapter 14. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses and all the people sang a song about it. Let's sing a song of worship and praise to God. Look at what he's done. Look at how he delivered us. At the end of chapter 15, after they finished singing, I guess they were really thirsty and they wanted water and they couldn't find it. And then they did find some and the water tasted bad. It was bitter and so they didn't want to drink it. And they immediately began to complain against God. Immediately. Just, just a few moments after singing the song of God saved us. He, he parted the Red Sea and we walked around. Then, oh, but we can't find water that tastes good. 
And they complained. So God says, Moses, take a log and throw it in the water and it'll take the bitterness out. That was a miracle. I know. I've tried that. It doesn't work, right? Like that, God was providing for them in every single circumstance, every situation. And so then Moses begins to lead them on the journey through the wilderness to the promised land. And they're about three days into this journey and they get really, really hungry. They don't have any food to eat. When it says wilderness, it means desert. It was barren wasteland. There's nothing to eat. And so what do they do? They immediately began to complain. I want you to see this. This will be on the screens. You have to turn all the way back to Exodus. But Exodus 16, 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. We at least had enough food there. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What? He's just delivered them out of Egypt with miracles. He just saved them through the Red Sea with this crazy miracle. And then they get hungry three days into this, and they're like, I guess God just brought us out here to die of starvation. And they complain against God. When they're they're complaining, what they're showing is that they don't believe. They don't trust him. They, they doubt that he can provide for them again. They've forgotten his provision the last time for some reason. They, they, at least practically, they act like they've forgotten. They don't trust that he can do anything now. You've brought us out here to die in the desert. That's chapter 16. In chapter 17, after God provides manna from heaven and satisfies their hunger need, they get thirsty again. They can't find water, and they complain once more. I can't believe God brought us out here just so we would die of thirst. Moses pleads with God, and God says, strike that rock with, your, with the staff, and it strikes the rock, and water comes out, and they're all satisfied. They get water to drink, but Moses names that place where he struck the rock. He names it um, with two names. He names it Massah and Meribah, and Massah means testing, and Meribah means rebellion, and so here's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's pointing us back to that. If you hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing. That's the specific day that he's pointing back to. When they forgot and complained and grumbled and they showed that they really didn't believe God could help them or that he would. But this passage is also talking about the fact that these people never got into the promised land. The the generation that was the older generation, they rebelled and disobeyed and sinned and complained and they didn't believe. And in the end, they didn't get in. And that's kind of pointing us to another part of that story. And that, that part of the story actually is found in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses led the people through the wilderness. They've got water, they've got food, and they get to the edge of the promised land. And they're about to go in. And so Moses takes 12 spies, one from each tribe, and he sends them into the promised land. Go, go see what we're up against. And those spies come back, and they have a report. And the report from 10 of them is, oh, this, it, the, the land is amazing. Milk and honey, it's all, all, all we thought. But we can't take it. The people are too big. They're too strong. Their cities have walls. They're too well fortified. They're going to defeat us. They're going to destroy us. They're going to kill us. They're going to take our women and our children. I can't believe we came out here just to die as we finally got here. 
That was 10 of the spies. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said the opposite. They said, oh, yeah, the city's well fortified. The people are strong, but God is with us. He's always been with us. Look, remember what God has done. He will give us the victory. Let's trust God. Don't doubt him. Let's trust. Let's move forward. Let's trust God to give us that. Everybody listened to the 10. The whole assembly of people listened to the 10, so much so that they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for saying that they should go in. And then God shows up. I want you to see they're complaining. Numbers chapter 14, also on the screens, verses 2 through 4. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not, look at this, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What? You want to you go back where you were slaves? That would be better than this because you don't trust God, because you're complaining, because you don't believe he can provide for you? And they're about to stone Joshua and Caleb because they have faith. And then God shows up, and he's about ready to destroy all of them. And Moses pleads with them for his name's sake, don't do that. And so God says, all right, I'll spare them for now. But Everybody 20 years, of old, 20 years old and older, except for Joshua and Caleb, will not go into the promised land. They're not getting in. If they're 20 years old, they're going to die in the wilderness. This is exactly what happened. They will not enter into my rest, this promised land. They're not going to make it in. That's, that's, what, that's the punishment that they got. And this is the warning that the writer of Hebrews is giving to us. Um, It's kind of interesting what he says here in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. And everything there, he's he's actually quoting Psalm 95. So David wrote Psalm 95 about this wilderness testing and rebellion. And when David writes it, hundreds of years after the actual event, he says, today, if you hear his voice. And then fast forward another hundred years or so, and the writer of Hebrews says, hey, same thing that David said. Today, if you hear his voice, listen. It's that reminder that this is God's word to us, and it is always, always relevant. It's always relevant. Today, if you hear his voice, same for us today, same for when the writer of Hebrews wrote it, same for David when he wrote it, same for the Israelites when they were hearing his voice back then and ignored it. It's it's a relevant word. In fact, what he says here is, as the Holy Spirit says. He doesn't say, as David said, hey, the Holy Spirit was speaking through David when he wrote that. And in our culture, when beliefs and ideas just, man, they just come at us and they're changing all the time and everybody has a different version of the truth and the truth is not even anything more than just a subjective thing, like whatever you think, like here's where we go. We go to the Bible, it's God's word, and it's always relevant. It was relevant thousands of years ago for Israel and it's relevant for us today. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing is taking this, this story and he's letting it be a warning for all of us. And that's what it is. It's a warning for every single one of us as we hear the Holy Spirit's voice today through his word that we would listen, that we would be warned. And the warning is don't let your hearts be hardened like those Israelites. They saw all that God had done and then they didn't believe him. They complained against him, showing they didn't believe him. In fact, what it shows is that they didn't really even know God. They were just like enjoying what he was doing for them, but they really didn't know him. In fact, if you look at verse 10, it says, God speaking, therefore I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. They don't know 
God. They don't know his character. They don't know his attributes. They don't know God, and so they continually fall away. And the writer of Hebrews is warning all of us, be careful that you don't do that. Don't let your hearts be hardened. Don't let unbelief creep in. Don't complain, because, when you, man, when we complain, it's showing that unbelief. And, and guys, the, the reality is that it's easy to look at the story and go, man, what in the world were those guys thinking? They were so worried, even though God had provided for them, they were so worried that they were going to starve or just die of thirst that they complained and they doubted. <laughs> and then you start, like, if you really want to lean into this, you go, wait, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that bad for me to complain. I mean, I haven't really ever been in danger of hung, starving to death or dying of thirst. But man, if things didn't go, don't go my way or they don't go exactly the way I want them to go, I can complain real, real fast. I can start wondering, where, well, God, where are you? I thought you were going to provide for me. You haven't provided for me yet. It's so, so easy to just be just like them in the wilderness that we're living in. And that's, that's another parallel that I think we need to see in the story is that, that this whole story he's pointing back to is that they were rescued from slavery out of Egypt, and then they were given this promise of a promised land to go to, and then they were wandering in the wilderness, and it was a period of God testing them and all these different kinds of things. That was all happening in real time for real events and real circumstances, but it's also kind of an analogy of what we're in right now, the spiritual journey we're in. We've been rescued and set free from our sin because of Jesus, and we have a promised land awaiting for us for all eternity in heaven if we put your faith and trust in Jesus, but in right now, we're in the wilderness. And if you understand that we're in the wilderness, it will make more sense when things are hard, when, when trials happen. Is not, this is not where we're headed. This is not our home. We're, it's already come. The kingdom's already come. Jesus has already set us free, but we're not all the way home yet. And so there's, there's struggles here in this life that we're living. We're in the wilderness. And it's so easy to doubt. It is so easy to complain. It's so easy to forget that God has provided for us before. So this is a warning for all of us. And I, I want to make some observations about this warning, just really a couple of them that I think that we can really lean into and learn from. And the first one is this, that great spiritual privilege does not guarantee true saving faith. Great spiritual privilege doesn't guarantee that you have true saving faith. And that, that's from this example. If anybody had a reason to believe in God, it was this group of people. Look at what they have seen. Look at what they've experienced. In verse 16, it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? They've been with Moses from the beginning. They saw the, the, the plagues. They experienced that. They, they experienced the whole thing of the Passover, the horrible thing that that was. They, they walked out with Moses. They were led by him. They, they saw the Red Sea. They walked on that dry ground. These are the people who heard and yet rebelled. And man, they had all this privilege of seeing this amazing acts of God, but in the end, they didn't really believe him. It's a, it's a reminder and a warning for us that it's, it's just so easy to want and pursue the things that God can do for us while we ignore God himself. Because I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than that. They seemed to be fine when God was providing for them. And as soon as they got thirsty or as soon as they got hungry, they turned and they complained. They didn't seem to want God. They just wanted what he was doing for them. And, man, it's really, really easy to shift into that mode and think, well, what's God done for me lately? How is he providing for me? And when he doesn't provide the way I think he's supposed to provide, I can easily turn around and go, God, what's up? Why are you doing this? Where'd you go? 
great spiritual privilege doesn't guarantee that we have true saving faith, that we really know him. These, these people have not known my ways. And we can so often just seek out the blessings and the gifts of God without really knowing God, without really putting our faith in him. That's, I mean, none of these people that were grumbling and complaining made it into the promised land. It's a warning for us. It's a, it's a very clear warning. You want a New Testament example of this? Look at Judas. And he had a front row seat. He was 12, one of the 12 disciples. He, he heard Jesus teaching. He saw the miracles. Jesus would teach in parables people didn't understand. Then he'd pull the disciples away and explain it to them. He saw everything. And in the end, he denied him, betrayed him, turned him over. I mean, he rejected him. All, like Judas was right there. Great spiritual privilege does not guarantee true saving faith. So give your kids as much of a spiritual heritage as you can, but don't rest on that. Students, if you've been brought up in a home where you've been taught Jesus and pointed to Jesus and said, hey, faith in Jesus is the only thing that matters. Jesus is really better. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you are in that kind of a home. But that's not a guarantee that you have saving faith. That's when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, not because your parents have done that, not because you go to a church, but because you put your faith in Jesus because you know he's better. So great spiritual privilege doesn't guarantee that. And the other thing I think we can say about this warning is that a good start doesn't guarantee a good ending. They had a really good start, got them out of Egypt, following Moses to the Red Sea, singing the songs, but their ending was not good. They, they, they did not enter into the promised land. So a good start is good, it's important, it's helpful, but it doesn't guarantee a good ending. Some of you in this room, you know exactly when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's awesome. Like You're like Paul, he knows. He was on the road to Damascus trying to find Christians and lock them up. Jesus Stopped him in his tracks, blinded him physically so he could open his eyes spiritually to see the truth. Paul can tell you, he told us over and over again, that was the moment he became a follower in Jesus, put his faith in Jesus. He knows the moment. He's, he, he, he's absolutely, it was vivid in his mind. And some of you have that kind of moment, maybe because it's, it's a recent thing for you. And you go, yeah, I remember the moment, where I was, what I did, what I said. I remember the moment. It's awesome. Some of you struggle with doubt because you don't remember that moment. Some of you, don't, you can't remember exactly what, where you were or what you did or what, what time it was. Some of you, like me, like I walked an aisle at the Second Baptist Church of Angleton, Texas, home of the Wildcats, purple and white, fight, fight, fight. I walked the aisle. I don't remember what year that was. I don't remember how old I was. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking when I walked that aisle. And it's really hard for me to find assurance in that because somebody, nobody told me to write, write the date in the back of my Bible. <laughs> You heard that, like, just write the date in the back of your Bible, and then you always look back on that, and you'll know for sure. Well, even if I did, I lost that Bible a long time ago. That wouldn't help me. So I don't, I don't find assurance in looking back at that moment. I find assurance in what I'm doing right now. I'm trusting in Jesus and only Jesus right now. I'm not doing that perfectly, but that's where I put my faith and trust. What he did for me on the cross is sufficient, and I know that I didn't earn that, and I don't deserve that, and I couldn't do anything to get myself back to God, that he did it for me, he took my place on the cross, and I know that right now I'm trusting only in Jesus for my salvation and help, and that's where I find my assurance. A good beginning's great, but what you're doing right now may be more important. 
And if you, if you struggle, man, I don't remember that. I don't have that moment. Maybe you're brought up in a Christian environment where you don't even remember that moment. That, I, I want you to know it's okay to say, well, I'm trusting Jesus right now. I must be one of his. Which is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. It's okay if you don't remember. You guys, some of you know uh, my friend David Watkins. He runs our media team. He's producing everything right now for our live stream. And David Watkins and I have been friends for a long time. Before this church started, uh, we were friends at Lake Point, the church we were at before this. And uh, we were talking the other day and trying to figure out when we became friends, and we couldn't figure it out. I don't know exactly when he and I became friends. I know uh, there was a day that I remember meeting him when I was helping a friend drop a kid off and he was working in the children's ministry at that time and I was handing him this other person's kid and before I got there, that kid bit me in my shoulder. (laughs) And he bit me good. And I was trying to get rid of that kid and hand him to David and he saw the kid bite me and so he backed up and wouldn't take the kid. (laughs) So I remember meeting him then, but we didn't become friends that day. (laughs) Nope, that happened later. But I don't remember what year it was. I don't remember exactly how long we've been friends. And so if you ask me, hey, oh, you go to Cross Point? You, do you know David Watkins? You know what I'm not going to say? I'm not going to say, oh, I don't know. I don't remember when we became friends. I don't know if I really know him. That would be ridiculous. If you ask me if you know David Watkins, I'm like, absolutely. He's one of my best friends. I hang out with him all the time. We hunt together. We fish together. He, we go to breakfast, and he always buys. Like, that's, he's my friend. <laughs> we have a friendship. We're hanging out all the time. If you don't remember when that happened for you, when you became a believer, put your faith and trust in Jesus, I get it. What are you doing right now? Are you trusting him right now? If you are, it's awesome. That's where you can find your assurance. Keep on trusting him. When you find your assurance in how you're trusting him right now instead of a moment in time, here's what happens. You point not to what you did for your assurance. Oh, I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I wrote it in my Bible. I did this. But you point to what Jesus did. I don't remember what happened, but I know what Jesus did for me. He died in my place. I put my faith in him because I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. It's what Jesus did becomes more important. A good beginning doesn't guarantee a good ending. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. It's a book I read a few years ago. It really, really helped me with some of those doubts that were creeping in. It's by J.D. Greer. Here's, Here's one of the quotes from that book. Salvation does indeed happen in a moment. And once you're saved, you're always saved. The mark, however, of someone who is saved is that they maintain their confession of faith until the end of their lives. Salvation is not a prayer you pray in a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. It's all about, am I trusting him right now? Then I'm going to keep on trusting him. Um, I love how he says salvation uh, does happen in a moment. Once you're saved, always saved. I hope you understand that these warnings are not teaching us that you can lose your salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. These warnings are basically saying, hey, if you fall away from this, if you walk away from this, and you never come back, I'm not talking about making mistakes. We all make mistakes. I'm just talking about, no, I decided I don't believe that, and you walk away. What Hebrews is telling us and what the Bible tells us is that you were never part of it. You never never had true faith. That's why it's a warning. Hey, if you're trusting him now, awesome. Keep trusting him. Because if you walk away from this, it's going to be a sign that you were never part of it and you're not going to the promised land. So keep trusting him. Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus has got this and he asks us to keep trusting and keep moving and keep, keep believing. That's what the warning's all about. It's a warning for every single one of us. 
But the writer of Hebrews doesn't just give us warnings with fear. He always gives us encouragement. Here's what you can do. Here's a remedy for that. Here's, here's what you do in response to this danger that's ahead. And the encouragement is for all of us just like the warning is for all of us. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the first encouragement is to watch out for yourself. Take care literally means watch out. Look out for yourself. Make sure you're not falling away. Don't, like, don't give in to unbelief. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing. Watch out for yourself. Which sounds hard. Sounds kind of, huh, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's really kind of simple. Do the things that draw you close to God. Re- read your Bible. Study your Bible. When I read my Bible and I study my Bible, I see who God is and what he's doing. And guess what? The doubts get pushed to the side when I do that. Show up for worship. Show up and worship with God's people. Sing the songs. Look around. See all the people that are believing. And watch the doubts get pushed way, way to the side. Because you know, oh, yeah, this is where, this is where I need to be. This is the people I need. This, this is the truth that we need to proclaim. Jesus really is better than anything else. Jump in and, and serve here. When you're serving here, your life begins to count for something bigger than yourself. You know you're using your gift to build up the body of Christ. And so serving is part of the way that we push the doubts aside. And we know that I'm going to keep trusting because I'm going to contribute. I'm going to play a part here. All those things contribute to this, watching out for yourself. But that's not enough. In the next verse, he says, verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So you need to watch out for yourself and you need to watch out for each other. I need other people in my life so that I don't fall into sin. Why? Because sin is deceitful. It's tricking us. Our own hearts, the Bible says, are deceitful. Our hearts will trick us. The, The devil is a liar and so he's lying to us and sin offers things it can never deliver. Sin promises pleasure and behind it, it always delivers pain, always. It's deceiving us. So you can watch out for yourself all you want and if you don't have anybody watching your blind spots and watching your back, you'll probably fall away from this. You'll probably fall into sin. But how we can stand together and move forward together, that's, that's the biblical answer to how we continue to trust is that we get people in our lives and we, and we let them speak into it. it. It actually says here, literally, every day, but exhort one another every day. Not just Sundays or Wednesdays or when you happen to see, but like get involved in somebody's life so you're exhorting them every single day. That sounds kind of hard, but you know we have technology now. If you're a community group, and we want you in community at Crosspoint because of this. Not just because you need friends, but because you need people to watch your back. I need people to watch my back. And if you're in a community group, do you have a group text going because of the technology so we can talk and interact every single day? Does your community group have one of those? If not, that could be the first step today. So just get a group text going with your community group. I'm in a community group. My wife and I, I love my community group. We have a group text going, but really our group text right now is all just about what food we're bringing when we gather. But it's a start. <laughs> we're interacting. What are you going to bring? In fact, I think we're kind of watching out for each other. We're getting together tonight. We're going to have a super time with super food. <laughs> and some of our group, some of our group have signed up recently to do that Whole30 diet, and they can't eat sweets 
But my friend over here on camera three, Lynn Daniel, he and I are eating sweets, and so we're going to take one for the team tonight. We're going to watch out for our friends. We're going to eat more sweets tonight so some of those won't be tempted. Like, watch out for yourselves. Interact with each other. Get involved in people's lives. Use the technology. Say, hey, here's a real-time prayer request. Here's a real-time struggle. I need people in my life. That's, that's what he's saying. You can watch out for yourself, but you've got to watch out for each other. You have to. Richard Phillips in his commentary in Hebrew said it this way, Christianity, it's not an individual but a team endeavor. So if we do not know the nature of our fellow believers' struggles and if we do not share ours with them, then we will never be able to follow through with this command. The result in that case will be that people among us will fall prey to sin. Therefore, we are commanded to be watchful for just these things in the body of Christ, thereby ensuring that none of us falls away because of sin's deceitfulness. If people don't know your struggles and you don't know people's struggles, you can't do this. That's why we want you to be authentic and real and vulnerable. Like we, we need each other. Watch out for yourself. Watch out for others. If you don't, the likelihood of you falling into sin is real, real high. Seven years we've been doing this, we've seen lots of people fall away because of sin. Some people have done that recently in our body. And what this is saying is that as a church, it's not just my job. It's all of our job when we see somebody wandering to go get them back to run, chase them down. That is not the place you need to be. Who in your life will come get you when you fall away? Who will you go get when you see them wandering away? That's what it's talking about. Watch out for yourself, watch out for each other. So this is the warning, take heed of the warning. Hey, we gotta keep on trusting. Don't complain, don't stop believing. Keep trusting. Watch out for yourself, watch out for others. That may seem pretty challenging. If you think about it, it's kind of impossible. Except for this one truth. The writer of Hebrews seems to tell us over and over again that Jesus is better. This whole theme of the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better than everything. That's, that's what he's telling us. The Israelites, they were wandering in the desert, the wilderness, the desert. Every test they failed. Disobeyed, sinned, complained. They didn't believe. Their hearts were hardened, all the things. They didn't know God. They failed. Jesus shows up, and their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and failing Jesus shows up and he is led into the wilderness for 40 days. And he's tempted and tested. And every one of them he passed perfectly. I mean perfectly. And the writer of Hebrews will tell us if you fix your eyes on Jesus and you focus on him, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, you'll realize that he gives us everything we need to keep on trusting. It's not about you and me trying harder. It's about looking to Jesus more. He passed the test so we know he can help us. He passed it perfectly, even though just like the Israelites, we fail all the time. And he's a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we know that because of the gospel. We know that because of what he did on the cross. So let's look to him. Let's trust in him because of who he is and what he's done. And let's together thank him for that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth in your word the warnings that we need, the encouragement and instruction that comes with it. Let us be a people that take heed. Let us be a people that watch out for ourselves. And let us be a people that watch out for each other. But God, ultimately, let us be a people that fix our eyes on you. What you have done for us, Jesus, is more than enough to sustain us through the wilderness that this life offers. And more than enough to lead us all the way home to the promised land with you forever. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray that.
Amen.